0: What's the difference between a friend and a friendly person because I think we might confuse the two a friendly person is the coworker that maybe you go to coffee with or you share a lunch break with or maybe the teacher in the classroom next door in between periods you stand out in the hallway and chat with each other or maybe it's the personal trainer that you work with at the gym people that are we're around all of the time but you probably wouldn't call them if you had a problem. Like I've been in physical therapy for a couple of months now because I blew out my hamstring and I've got a really great relationship with my physical therapist. But if I called Jojo on his day off and said, Hey, would you come over and help me in the garden? I think I'd discover that he has a pretty hard and fast boundary line there. Most of us have lots of friendly people in our lives. At least I hope you have friendly people in your life. But friendly people are not the same things as friends. And being friended or followed or subscribed to by someone on social media is not the same thing as being friends either. Friends are much rarer. Friendship goes beyond being casually pleasant. Friends are people who know your hurts and they know your pains, Friends are people that share your joys and are happy for you when something good happens to you and not jealous because it didn't happen to them. Friends are people you can confide in. They know the good, the bad, and the ugly about you and like you anyway. They show up when you don't think anyone else will. That's more what a friend looks like. A friend is someone who wants the best for you and will help you get the best thing for you even if it looks different from what you think you want. A good marriage, a friend wants that for you and will help your marriage get better. A significant life, a friend wants you to have that and will help you be significant. Hope, a friend definitely wants that for you too. You don't get massive numbers of friends in your lifetime. If you're lucky, you get a few. And they make all the difference in the world. And this morning, we're gonna look at a story of friendship. Comes out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter two, verses one through five, and then dropping down to 10 and 11. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And then down to verse 10. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. So this is a story of friendship. This is a story of four guys bringing their friend to Jesus. They saw that Jesus could make a radical difference in their friend's life. And they wanted that life change for him. So this passage comes out of the second chapter of Mark. It is pretty early on in Jesus's public ministry. But Jesus has already developed a reputation. He's developed a reputation for really amazing teaching, things that people haven't heard before. He's been going around healing all sorts of people. He's been setting them free from their demons. And of course, people are attracted to this. And it says that Jesus had been to Capernaum a few days before, but he had left. And now he's come back. And word spreads pretty quickly that Jesus is back in town because Capernaum is a really small city. And when we go to visit it next year, and if you're not already signed up, you should come and go with us. That's a shameless plug, but it'll be really, really fun. When we go to visit it next year, you'll see that Capernaum is a really small town. In fact, here's an overview of it, and you can see it's actually far smaller than our church property is. And then this next slide is actually a picture of a housing block in Capernaum. You'll see uh, basalt walls, and those are actually whole houses. People lived in really tiny, tight spaces with a narrow alleyway down between them, which you can pretty clearly see in this slide. So don't picture your house, don't picture my house. This is a relatively small space for a relatively small town, but it didn't take too much for a ton of people to clog up the house and the alleyway on the way to it. So The last time that Jesus had been in the town, for whatever reason, the guy couldn't get close enough to Jesus to get healed. Now, this guy is paralyzed, and it's never a good thing to be paralyzed, but particularly in this day and age, it was really devastating. We don't know the extent of his paralyzing, it might just been his legs, we really don't know. But because he was paralyzed, there was no opportunity for work, There was nobody really there to support him. He apparently had four friends who probably saved him from just death of exposure. Maybe the best that he could hope for was that somebody would give him alms as a beggar but something has gone on. In fact, I think, based on just my reading of the text, that maybe this guy got paralyzed later on in life, that maybe there was an accident that happened, because he's got four buddies. And I imagine, you know, they went through school together, they worked together, and they are going to be with him through thick and thin. So this is a really bad situation, but he's lucky because he's got these buddies and now Jesus is back in town and his friends think if we can get him to Jesus and Jesus can heal him that's what we want for him so this time we're not gonna miss the opportunity we're gonna get him to Jesus so they decided to do this they go to wherever he lives and they pick up all four corners of the mat and they know where they're headed and they turn down the street and they can't get anywhere near the house so what do they do well a lot of people would have just given up i mean well we tried but obviously we can't get anywhere near the house but these people really wanted their friend to be healed so maybe they tried pushing through and it didn't work one of them gets the bright idea. What if we go up on the roof? And what if we dig through the roof? So that's just another level of inconvenience that they have to do. But these people are bound and determined that they are gonna get get him to Jesus. They are resolved. So they go up onto the roof. And uh, I love the the original Greek because it's quite uh, poetic. It says they unroofed the roof. And basically it's probably mud laid over palm fronds, kind of different layers. And so they literally get up there and they start digging away with their hands. Now picture being inside. And all of a sudden, you maybe hear some noise upon the roof, and then things start falling out of the roof. Now, if you think everybody kept paying attention to Jesus, you have not paid close attention on Sunday mornings during the sermon. When somebody gets up to go to the bathroom or their phone rings, everybody swivels and looks. So if chunks are falling down the ce- the, from the ceiling, you know everybody has lost focus. So Jesus at that point realizes he lost the crowd, so I think even Jesus is looking up. And pretty soon this face appears and then the hole gets bigger and you know people get out of the way because they don't want mud on them and they drop the dude down and you saw the heights I mean we're not talking 12 foot ceilings here maybe six feet maybe you could stand up in it they were shorter than we are and they get their friend to Jesus and Jesus says son your sins are forgiven And in that, Jesus provides a greater healing than his friends had even hoped for. And then there's some back and forth. And then Jesus goes ahead and heals him from his paralysis. So this dude's life is completely changed. And it all happens because four people decided that they needed to get their friend to Jesus. So what had to happen for them to do this? I broke it down into a couple of quick steps. The first thing is they had to notice the need, and that might be the hardest part. I was waiting for Megan to come home from San Diego the other day, and I was standing outside the exit from the Seagates. You've all stood there before on the way to to baggage claim, and this cute little family, um, mom, dad, and little kid, maybe four years old, comes through the the TSA entryway there, and they're holding hands, and it's really cute. And they just get beyond the TSA agent, and they apparently have never been to SeaTac before because they stop and I can tell they're standing looking for where they go next. The problem is, is they stopped right in the middle, and they're holding hands, so they've effectively blocked the whole thing. And I'm sort of chuckling watching 50, 100 people back up behind them, and these people are absolutely clueless that anybody else is around them. And we do that sometimes. Sometimes we're absolutely clueless that other people are around us and sometimes the biggest challenge is just noticing other people or noticing the needs and so the first thing that they had to do was they had to notice that their friend had a need i wonder how many things go on around us that we're just too busy to pay any attention to how many opportunities god lays before us that we don't see because we're too busy or preoccupied or just don't notice so the first thing they had to do is they had to notice the need. And then there's a second hurdle that they had to get over, which has subpoints. And the second hurdle was they had to care. Because we see an awful lot of needs and we can't care for everybody. But notice that this is a friend. They're moved with compassion for their friend. They see that he has a need and they could have very easily just gone, well, he's paralyzed, he's always gonna be paralyzed. There's really nothing we can do. Our hands are tied, we can't help. But they didn't go there. They cared enough to do what they could do. They couldn't heal him, but they could get him to Jesus who could. So the sub points are they had to care enough to do something. So they pick him up and they take him to Jesus. And then all of a sudden there's this C O humanity. And they had to care enough to be inconvenienced. I know lots of times if i'm not really into something i'll give it a try but if there's much pushback if it's going to be hard i'm like hey i tried didn't work they had to care enough to be inconvenienced so they pushed through that and then they had to dig through a roof So they had to care enough to not give up easily. What they thought maybe was a 20-minute excursion, who knows how long it took, and it was a whole lot more complicated. But because they noticed the need and they cared enough to follow through the whole way, their friend's life was changed forever. He was healed physically, spiritually, emotionally, probably every other way. Jesus goes beyond in everything that they had hoped and prayed for in healing him so what does this story say to us well we want people to know jesus we found hope and peace and healing and purpose in jesus and we want other people to know those things that we have too but we don't want to be weird and we don't want to stand on a street corner out in front of nordstrom in downtown seattle with a bullhorn we don't want to pass out tracks at the airport like some people do We don't want to create an awkward situation, at least I don't. I don't know, maybe you're cool with those things. That's not what I want to do. But I know people who are hurting. I know people who need some help. I know people who need some hope. And I know that Jesus provides those things because he's provided those things for me. He's made that difference in my life. So I think if you're anything like me, we can take a cue from the friends in this passage. This was someone they knew, and that's key. We can't care for everyone. We can be compassionate to everyone we meet. We can be kind to everyone we meet, but we can't invest in everyone, but we can invest in some. I mean, We already know people. We already have access into people's lives, and we can possibly have the opportunity to invest more deeply. This really is about friends, talking to friends, friends being with friends, friends caring for friends, taking the opportunity to move the conversation beyond the weather and the Seahawks. Now, this isn't about manipulation. This is about just loving and caring for people that you have the opportunity to love and care for and seeing where God takes it. Back in the day, people used to talk about friendship evangelism. And the idea was that you became friends with somebody in order to share the gospel with them. But even though that's well-intentioned, I still find it a little bit cringy because it brings an agenda to the table. And I don't wanna be somebody's project. I mean, if you wanna love me, if you wanna care for me, if you wanna be my friend because you like me and you wanna spend time with me, That's one thing. And then if you have a word of hope for me, if you can help me be a better person, that's great. But I don't want you to to just overlay something on our relationship. So what we're talking about is just loving and caring for people, investing in them just because we can, just because Christ first loved us and then see where God leads it. So it's just about loving some people that are around. Now, our organizing principles, which we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, we want to bring people to Christ, we want to develop disciples, and we want to live lives of compassion, mercy, and justice. And one of the most effective ways I've ever experienced to help bring people to Christ and to develop disciples is our 3-2-1 emphasis, which admittedly we have not talked about in quite a while. 3-2-1 is because we believe that discipleship The process of our lives becoming more like the life of Jesus is something that best happens in the context of relationships, not programs. We believe that as a disciple we have three different spheres of relationships. We know people who don't know Jesus yet, we know people who know Jesus but need and want to grow in their relationship with him, and we know people who know Jesus better than we do. Three people who don't know Jesus yet, two people that we could help uh, come along, and one person who comes alongside of us. So for the threes, what we're talking about today, we want to identify three people who do not know Jesus yet and begin to care about them in the hopes of having a spiritual conversation someday. Twos which we'll talk about next week, we want to invest in two people who already know Jesus, and ones, which we'll talk about the week after before, is to find someone who will speak into our lives. So threes, generally speaking, are people who are already in our lives. If you have kids, they might be some of your threes. It could be someone that you regularly see, or you work with, or you socialize with. It can't be everyone, but it can be three people. These are people that you already know enough to care about, but you could take the relationship to a deeper level. We have to do what the four friends did. We have to listen enough to notice the need, and then we have to care maybe care enough to do something about it, care enough to be inconvenienced, maybe even by having a longer conversation, and care enough not to give up easily. Because loving people, caring for people, isn't always linear. So a couple of examples that I thought of. Um, We offer some things here at the church that might provoke a spiritual conversation. Maybe you know somebody who's going through a divorce, who has been divorced. We have a divorce care program that you could invite somebody to that's been really, really helpful to people. That's helping, that's caring for them. Maybe somebody in the last year or two has had a loss. Maybe a spouse has died or a parent or a child or something like that. We do a grief-share program. Most people are not equipped to deal with grief, but we can help with that. That's something that you could invite somebody to that it would at least kick the conversation down to a deeper level that could be super helpful to them. Maybe they have kids and they don't know what to do with their kids. Maybe they want them to have better influences. We got youth groups. You know, you can just go on and on with ways that you can offer help to people. Here's an interesting point in the story. By the time this story comes up in Mark chapter 2, Jesus had called four disciples. But they weren't the four people who carried this guy to Jesus. The other four people did what disciples are supposed to do. They're supposed to break down barriers to get people to Jesus. I don't know what the disciples were doing. They might have been busy doing other things. But I'm really, really taken with that image that probably the disciples were among the people who were clogging the route to Jesus. And it took four other people who saw the need, who believed enough, who were willing to care enough and be inconvenienced enough to bring their friend to Jesus. We don't wanna be impediments to the gospel. We don't wanna keep people from Jesus. We wanna be the four friends who are bringing people there. So the challenge this week is really to be a friend to some of the people around you and see where God uses you. So let me ask you three questions. First, who invested in you? and helped you get to know Jesus? Two, who can you begin to intentionally care about? And three, what is one step you can take this week to engage them at a deeper level?